0: Mark chapter 14, Mark 14, Uh, we're continuing uh, our study in Jesus's final hours. But before we begin, let's have a word of prayer. Our Father, we come before you and we pray that your word would speak to us, would help us to understand more about you, more about ourselves, and more of what we are to do and be. I pray that as I preach that... Uh, I would not get in the way, nor would I be a stumbling block, but that your word would go forth in purity and that it would fill us with hope and and peace. ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, oftentimes uh, we think about fear as this evil thing. We think about fear as uh, sinful. We think about fear as entirely a negative thing that in in a lot of ways can be looked down on as sinful. That isn't the case. Fear is not always a bad thing. If you're at the zoo and you slip and fall into the lion cage, fear is a very healthy thing. Fear will probably save your life. If you're not afraid, there's something wrong with you. It's not a sinful response to falling into that situation. Even if you're you're not alone in that situation, even if there's three other people in there with you or four other people in there with you, you're still going to be afraid because there's lions in there. And so, fear is not always evil. Fear is not always uh, a sign that a person doesn't have faith. It's not a sign that a person doesn't trust. Oftentimes, especially in our contemporary Christian culture, we think, like, have more faith and you'll have less fear. When the reality is more that in our culture, we're the most anxious and afraid people in multiple generations. We are, we are so anxious. It's, it's unbelievable as a culture, as a society, more people in our society are on anxiety medication than the population of the last one like it's we have an unbelievable amount of people who are afraid and and you'd think that in our culture where we have more life expectancy than anybody ever had before us you think about the the advances that we've made in medical science you think about how you can get into Well, for instance, my dad, my dad had cancer in his nose, a tumor that was growing in his nose. And he went in for a surgery and they laid him on the table and they cut open his face and removed a tumor out of the middle of his face. And when he went in for surgery, they told us that he had a 2% chance of dying. 2%. And they were digging into his face. They were probably going to have to remove a portion of his brain tissue and he said, they said that he had a 2% chance of failure. That's the culture that we live in. We have these amazing things. A 2% chance that, that somebody getting an invasive surgery into their face was going to die. And yet, despite those advances in medicine, and in, despite all those things, we are always anxious. Lots of the time, we are crippled with fear. There are people who go down and, and live in Florida for half the year because they're afraid to drive on roads here. Crippled with fear. Now, that's not an irrational fear. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that that's an irrational fear, especially where we live. Um, the road up by Coffee Creek uh, slid out from right underneath it and it's gone. I drove past it yesterday. And there's, there's just no road there anymore. Um, fear is not a horrible emotion to have. And oftentimes we look at the end of Jesus's life. We see his disciples uh, running away. We see Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. And oftentimes I think we can look down on them for being fearful, especially the disciples. The disciples ran away from Jesus. And, you know, Jesus predicted uh, last week that, uh, that Peter was going to deny him that 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 he was going to run away he was going to leave Jesus and and oftentimes i think we look at peter and we think man couldn't he have stuck it out couldn't he have just you know didn't why didn't he trust Jesus enough to stay with him you know he saw the miracles that Jesus did if he was the one who declared you're the christ he was the one who was the leader of the disciples if anybody should have had courage it was peter and yet he ran away And if you were in that situation, there's a 99.999% chance that you would run away too. And you know more than Peter did. You know that Jesus rose from the dead. My point in all this is just to say, as we look into this passage, and as we see the apostles running away, we see Jesus feeling fear, we see another man at the end of this passage run away, that... Fear in and of itself is not an evil thing. It's not a bad emotion to have. It's a healthy thing. And it's not a sign of sinfulness, frailty, and weakness. Well, it is a sign of frailty and weakness, but frailty and weakness isn't always a bad thing. So let's read this passage together. Uh, Mark 14, starting in verse 32. Please stand in reverence to the word of God. Sorry, no, starting in verse 27. And Jesus said to them you will all fall away for it is written I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered but after I am raised I will go before you to Galilee Peter said to him even though they fall away I will not Jesus said to him truly I tell you this very night before the rooster crows twice you will deny me 3 times but he said emphatically if I must deny or if I must die with you I will not deny you and they all said the same and they went to a place called Gethsemane and he said to his disciples sit here while I pray And he took with him Peter, James, and John, and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. He said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And they came, and he came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking a rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, with him, uh, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs, from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went to him, and at once said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they, they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those stood by. who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out against us as a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him. But he left a linen cloth and ran away naked. Amen. Please be seated. Now, we have to remember in all of this that everything that happened to Jesus on this night uh, was according to the will of God. Every single thing. Uh, as Jesus says in, uh, in, verse, um, in verse 27, he says to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. The scattering of the disciples was according to the will of God. It was according to God's will that Jesus would die alone on that cross that he would not bear the sin of the world with people around him and surrounded by those he loved that he would die alone and cut off from his friends and his family and his people that was an important aspect of the death of Christ you see again uh, at the near the end of this passage in in verse um In verse 49, he says, Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. So for the last week of Jesus' life, he has been in the temple, in and out, causing major problems for the priests and the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians and all of the the ruling class of Israel. He's been making big problems for them. And he's been in public doing these things. And so there are... They had multiple opportunities to take Jesus away, to seize him, and to take him. But it was the will of God that Jesus would not be seized and taken away three days earlier. It was according to the will of God that Jesus would die on this particular day. All of these things are according to the will of God. Peter's betrayal, the fall of the disciples, was the will of God. The sin of the disciples, uh, even though it is according to, uh, even though it is sin, it's according to the will of God, but Jesus is going to cover it and pay for it. And so immediately after he says, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered, he gives them some hope. He says, but after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter said to him, you know, even though they will all fall away, I will not. But Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, you know, this is important. Truly, I tell you. This is the will of God. You can't help it. You need to to just accept that this is going to happen. That before the rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times. But, you know, of course, in in Peter's bravado, he says emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not. But I want you to notice more than anything else the, the hope that Jesus gives to them. He says, but after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And it's interesting because later on we find out that after Jesus died, the disciples didn't believe. The disciples thought that the end was nigh, that the, the, you know, they were hiding in a room, basically just waiting for the end to come, for them to be arrested and, and to be murdered uh, after Jesus. Um, but Jesus is told them multiple times that he's going to rise again, and it just shows the unbelief. Uh, That was still resting in the hearts of his people. But later on, of course, Jesus is raised and he comes to them and and they do believe. It was the will of God that Jesus would be betrayed into the hands of evil men. God's sovereign will was such that Jesus would be taken that night. Not when he was in the temple. Uh, This was so that the scriptures which were written by the inspiration of God would be fulfilled. This is not plan B. God is not making the best out of a bad situation thinking well Jesus was going to do was going to win a great victory but now he's going to be betrayed into the hands of sinners so i guess i'll figure out how to make this work for my purposes no when Jesus was sent to earth actually before the foundation of the earth was laid god the father and god the son and god the holy spirit came together and made a covenant an agreement together that when mankind sinned Jesus would go and be the propitiation, the substitute for their sin and take on the justice that they deserved, even though he would be innocent. This was God's only plan. This was the plan forever. This is a plan that echoes into eternity. And that's important for us to know. Before the foundation of the earth was laid, Christ was ready to die for you. Before you were born and had done anything either good or bad, God was ready to come and die for you. That's huge. That is unbelievably huge. Our God is not making the best out of a bad situation. Our God's plans always go forward in every situation. Our God does not fail. Ever. God is not bound by the will of man, but has the power and authority to use evil actions for his own good purposes. So again, the the act of the disciples abandoning their best friend, abandoning their teacher, and running for the hills is a sinful action. It is a sinful action. But God is able to use that sinful action for good. The action of Judas coming forward to betray the Lord Jesus... The action of the evil men to come by night in a garden and to take Jesus away was a sinful and evil action. But like it says in Genesis 50 verse 20, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. That's Joseph talking. Now Joseph was betrayed by his brothers, 11 brothers. He was betrayed by his 11 brothers. Jesus was betrayed by his 11 brothers. By his best friends. Joseph said, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. Jesus says, this is so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. When that happened to Joseph, way back when, God was preserving his people. If you know the story of Joseph, you know that Joseph was betrayed by his brothers and thrown into a pit. And then sold into slavery to Ishmaelites and carried away to Egypt where he became a slave in Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him and he refused. And so he was thrown into prison where he rotted for seven years. Then Pharaoh had a bad dream and eventually found Joseph. And Joseph interpreted that dream. And because Joseph interpreted the dream correctly, he was seen as a wise man who was given power in Egypt. And he was able to... With foresight of the future, that there was a plague or there was a famine coming. They were going to have seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. During the seven years of plenty, in his wisdom, he gathered the resources of Egypt so that in the seven years of famine, when his brothers who betrayed him were dying, they could come to Egypt and receive salvation because of what their brother was doing. And so the things that they did were were absolutely 100% evil. They sold their brother into slavery. But this was according to the purpose of God, because one of Jesus' brothers, namely Judah, is the ancestor of Jesus. And so if Joseph had not been betrayed and sent and gone to the particular house that he went to to get thrown into prison, so that he could meet a guy... Who he, he interpreted his dream, who would eventually tell Pharaoh how that this guy knows how to interpret dreams so that he could stand before Pharaoh, interpret the dream, be raised up to a seat of power in Egypt, and then do things to make sure that his brothers would eat. Judah would have died in, of starvation, and Jesus would never have been born. But all of that is just a foreshadow of what was to come. All of that was just kind of a, a cool story that was an allusion to a bigger story. It's just a small part of the big picture. And the big picture is that Jesus was betrayed by his 11 brothers and that he came and died and made a way and made salvation for all of them. That is the point of Joseph's story. The point of Joseph's story is not uh, don't have sex with your boss's wife. That is not the point of that story. The point of that story is not, be really good and maybe someday things good things will happen to you. That is not the point of that story. At no point is Joseph the main character of that story. At no point is Joseph's brothers the main character of that story. At no point is Pharaoh the main character of that story. The main character of that story is Jesus. Because the main character of this whole story is Jesus. It is all about Jesus. It is all according to the will of God. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. God meant it for good. All of these things. It's important for us to know that these things are according to the will of God. And that everything that happens in our life is according to the will of God. Positive and negative. You mean it for evil. God means it for good. God's plans are always carried forward. You have no ability to stop the plans of God. You are not that powerful. Joseph's brothers are not that powerful. Joseph is not that powerful. The disciples, not that powerful. Judas, not very powerful. The high priests, the Sanhedrin, the elders of Israel who condemned Jesus to death, not that powerful. All of them are tools in God's greater plan. To make sure that the purposes of God are carried forward, that Jesus makes atonement for his people. That is the point. These things are according to the will of God. Jesus goes into the garden in full knowledge that these, his closest friends, would abandon him. Knowing full well that this was according to the will of his father, he was to be abandoned completely in a very short time and betrayed by a close friend. The leader of the disciples, the one Jesus called Peter, whose name means the rock, was the one who completely crumbled. He was supposed to be the strong one. He was supposed to be the one that Jesus could rely on, an anchor in a time of storm, the rock. Eventually, people would rely on Peter, and he would be the rock. But in this moment, he's a pebble. And he's swept away by the greater greater circumstances. Jesus is abandoned by Peter, and the others followed Peter, rather than Christ. Even the young man in verse 51, who is probably the writer of this book, Mark, verse 51, a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth, and they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away. Likely, that is Mark, the writer of this book, a follower of Jesus. It's possible we don't know that's a that's a speculation but it makes sense because this is the only uh book of the or the only gospel that this is mentioned and so it seems like this unique little little bit is probably because the writer is inserting himself into here um and showcasing the fact that jesus is completely alone completely alone Jesus knows that this is about to happen, and his desire is to cherish his final moments with his best friends, Peter, James, and John. And he took them to a place called Gethsemane, and he confides in his friends that his soul is sorrowful even unto death. And he asks them for their prayer and support. And then he goes on ahead and he prays. And he says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. We learn that from Jesus in his final moments of freedom, two very important lessons. Um, In times of pain and sorrow, take the comfort of friends and take the comfort of God. Those are the two lessons. In times of sorrow, take comfort from friends and take comfort from God. Do not neglect either one of those. Uh, This is the purpose of the church in the life of the Christian. The church is supposed to be your friend in a time of trouble. Uh, n- there are no lone wolf Christians. No Christian, no person, can live the Christian life alone. It doesn't work. You will fail. You will get caught in sin, you'll trip and fall, and you'll be alone with nobody to help you up. It says in Ecclesiastes, "The cord of three strands is not easily broken. If you do not have support in your life, you will fail. If you don't have a church, you will fail. Remember that when the church is driving you crazy. Amen! <laughs> if you do not have a church, you will fail. And it'll be your fault. We need each other comforting and caring for us. Sometimes that comfort and care is actually a much-needed correction. So remember that when you're angry with the church, when you're angry with your brothers and sisters in Christ for saying you're wrong about that and you need to change. That this is your brothers and sisters lovingly helping you because no one can live the Christian life alone. And it is possible for you to be wrong. I know. Crazy concept. Sometimes... That comfort and care is support in a time of strife. The disciples were supposed to uphold their friend in his distress. And it doesn't matter if we can't understand why the person is sorrowful. We're supposed to support them anyway. So remember that when someone comes to you asking for support and you think that their reason is dumb. Support them anyway. Because they're your brother or sister in Christ. And that's the way we're supposed to be. The disciples failed to support Jesus the way they were supposed to. And so often, we as the church fail to support each other in the way that we're supposed to. But we have to understand our purpose in each other's lives. We are servants of Christ and we're therefore servants of one another. Servants. All of us are servants of one another. We're supposed to go out of our way to love and support each other. This is something that we as a church need to grow in. And if you're thinking to yourself right now, is he talking about me? The answer is yes, because I'm talking to all of you. I'm talking to me. We need to go out of our way to love and support each other. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, you probably don't like the person across the aisle from you, but you need to go out of your way to love them and support them. We all have to do that because we're all part of the church and it's all our responsibility. We are supposed to support each other in times of crisis. We're supposed to give each other correction in love, in love, correction in love, in love. One more time in love. We're not supposed to be nags. We're supposed to love each other, and you should be loving your brother or sister enough to receive correction without getting defensive right off the bat. We are servants of Christ and are therefore to be servants of one another. We're supposed to go out of our way to love and support each other. We need to be we, we need to not be like Jesus' friends. We need to learn from their negative example. We need to learn from their failure. And we need to go out of our way to love each other and support each other even when we're tired. Even when we've had a long week. Even when we're very frustrated with the person that we're supposed to be loving and supporting. Not that I think that the disciples were frustrated with Christ. But we are supposed to learn from their failure and to love each other even when we don't get it. Even when it doesn't make sense to us. And the second lesson we learn from Jesus is that in a time of support, we need to turn to God. So we need each other. True. We need God more. Jesus left his friends behind to go and talk to God. He asked his friends to support him and to watch and to pray and to pay attention. And then he went and talked to God. So if you are only ever relying on people in your life to support you and to hold you up, you are not going to, it's not going to work. You need both. If you're only looking to God, you're going to trip and fall because you can't see God. And God doesn't talk right into your face. You need both. It's not enough to just have friends because friends fail us. As my dad used to sing, every man in the world's going to let you down, but Jesus never fails. Jesus never fails. Jesus went to his heavenly Father and drew strength for what was to come. When, when we as Christians go to God, we're drawing support from someone who loves us unconditionally, and someone who is intimately aware of every millisecond of our existence, who understands our circumstances better than we do, and who is ready and willing to comfort us in our desperate hour. Jesus makes prayer his priority and he is strikingly honest about his fear. And I think this is written for our benefit. Like I said before, we we ought not to think of fear as a sinful thing. Jesus in this moment is looking ahead at what is coming. We all know that he's we all 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 of us know that we're going to die someday. And and we're all afraid of that. But it's more of a fear of the unknown. Because we don't know exactly how we're going to die. We just know that we're going to die. And, and we don't really, like, we can have some assurance that we're going to go to a good place. But we all have doubt. And so in our doubt, we fear. You know, we don't know exactly what's coming after. Even if you have read every passage in the Bible on heaven a hundred times, you don't know what it's going to be like because there's going to be a judgment before you even get there anyway. And so there's something right there that's unknown that we fear. Now, consider Jesus, who is all-knowing. He knows exactly how he's going to die. He knows exactly what's about to be what's about to be done to him. He's about to be abandoned by his friends, beaten, whipped a crown of thorns shoved onto his head made to walk out of a city carrying a big hunk of wood which he is going to get nailed to and then he's going to hang there suffocating by the nails in his hands and his feet but beyond all of that he's going to bear the wrath of god for his people He's going to get the full measure of the wrath of God. And he knows it. He knows exactly what's going to happen to him. If you knew that tonight that was going to happen to you, would you be afraid? Would you be wrong to be afraid? No, you'd be right to be afraid. And so Jesus here is not doing something wrong by saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, what you will. Jesus is afraid. And it makes sense. Because this is what's going to happen. He's going to bear the wrath of God. He's going to be separated from and punished by his heavenly Father. In his perfect nature, he shudders at the concept of the corruption of sin, which will be placed on his head. People die every day from the fear of the unknown, but those, if those people truly understood the, the wrath of God for their sin, they'd be a lot more afraid. And they'd be rightly afraid. Jesus is about to bear the wrath of God for something that he didn't even do. And so it makes sense that he would say, please take this from me. Think about it for a second that this work that he's really sorrowful and that he's asking for relief from, you know, in all this, your salvation hangs in the balance. If God had allowed Jesus to remove this cup from him, you would not be saved. That's a big deal. If Christ had said, not your will, but my will be done, you would still be under the wrath of God. But since Jesus aligned his will with the Father's will and overcame his fear, you will not bear one drop of God's wrath. Praise Lord. Praise the Lord. You will not bear one tiny little drop of God's wrath because Jesus took it all. He took it all for you if you have put your faith and trust in him. Jesus tamed his fear and aligned his will with the Father's will, and because of that, our salvation was accomplished. He prayed this three times, he found his resolve, and he bravely faced the end. There was no sin in this. Jesus was a man, and he had a natural human fear. This is where we find the love of God most gloriously expressed, as it says in 1 John 4, 16-19. So we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because he is because as he is so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. So Jesus is feeling fear because he is about to face punishment. When we go to our death, if we have put our faith and trust in Christ, there ought to be no fear, because fear has to do with punishment, and Jesus took all of that. There is no fear in love because his perfect love in taking our punishment has cast out our need for punishment and has made us whole and has made us free. We love because he first loved us and gave himself up for us. Jesus had fear because he was going to face punishment, but we don't need to fear. All punishment has been extinguished by the blood of Jesus, he paid it all taking the wrath of God that we deserve and rising again as the conqueror of death. We need to stand on that promise. And that's where we need to find our hope. The hope and the love that overcomes our fear. Jesus was abandoned by his friends, betrayed by one of them, Taken by the servants of the high priests and brought before a council and falsely accused and murdered. Next week we'll look into Jesus' trial and the final abandonment of his friends. But I want us to understand Jesus this morning. I want us to really know Jesus. Jesus to really understand who he was and what he went through because in doing so you will understand your salvation in doing so you'll understand who you are in doing so you'll understand the need of others let's pray lord we're we're very grateful That you said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. We thank you, Lord, that you aligned your will with the Father's will. That you bore our punishment. That you were willing to overcome your fear for our salvation. I pray that you would help us to understand you, to know you. And because of this, to love you all the more. Pray that you'd help us to see our salvation. Pray that you'd help us to commit ourselves to you. You'd help us to honor you and to obey you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.